Okay, great. So as the Revit Insurance is uh, preparing, <laughs> for also for those who are listening to this recording, um, I'm Marguerite Polonowski. I am an MRC alum, and I also now work in alumni relations. And I want to just first of all say that I'm really excited for tonight's cheer because tonight we have a cheer sponsorship brought to us by our lovely Emma, who's here with us. Um, and this year is dedicated for two individuals. Um, the first is for Rafua Shlema, for her friend's daughter, or for, um, for someone very close to her, Nima Irasima Bastalia. Um, so we just want to have that and in mind. name again? Meira Sima Bastalia. That we want to have that in mind, that this individual should have a Rafua Shlema. And additionally, for her... Uh, great aunt as a real nishma of Sarah Bas Eto. And Emma sent me a little blurb saying that her aunt Sarah taught her the epitome of Shalom Bais. And in tonight's year, Bezat Hashem, Rebetzin will be talking a lot about Mita Kneged Mita and Midos um, and a positive Mita that Sarah Bas Eto brought into the world was positive Shalom Bais. And she, thank God, was married for 72 years and even in her sickness, she would go out of her way to do wonderful things for her husband. So thank you, Emma, so much for that. And for everyone else who is listening, whether you're listening live or recorded, if you have any questions about sheer sponsorships and, you know, if you want to get creative with it, if you want to get folks together to sponsor a sheer for Rebbit's insurance, or if you want to do it because you got I don't know, maybe you inherited a lot of money recently. Who knows? Um, but seriously, we are so happy and appreciative for any of that. Um, you can contact me via WhatsApp. I'll leave my WhatsApp in the chat or at my email, Margaret at, or Margalit, sorry, at darchenoam.org. So that's my spiel. I'm going to hand it over to the Robinson now to uh, be here what we're really for here for, which is the Torah. Okay, guys. So Last week, we did the, uh, the second battle of I, chapter 8, and what we saw was the victory of the Jewish people in I was preceded by a failure. So if we're looking at the progression of the wars in the story of the conquest of Eretz Israel, so we have the idea that the first battle, the Battle of Yericho, was a completely supernatural mace. Completely supernatural. And the second battle, an eye, was not, uh, I mean, everything, of course, comes from Hashem, and it's not exactly, uh, you know, their, we don't want to say it was their military might that won that war, but there's definitely a different flavor to the Battle of Ai, because they first lost, and then, right, 36 people were killed, and the second, in the second battle, they pretended to lose, having set up a major ambush, and that is what tricked the people of Ai, and that is how they won that war. So if you were living in Canaan, in the land of Canaan, as it was then, or if you were living anywhere nearby, if you listen to these two stories, you would be wondering what exactly is going on with the Jewish people? Are they having miraculous victories or they're having, you know, uh, military genius, you know, stratagem victories? And how 
if you are a, a member of the, you know, the nations that live in Canaan, you are scratching your head and saying, how do we defeat these people? Because that is the next challenge. Okay, so I wanna screen share and get the text up. I have a lot of stuff going on here. All right. I don't know what is this. Okay. So first of all, I always like to look at the um, this one. So you can see the the the, the parak as a whole. And if you look at this particular uh, version of the parak, you'll see that the the natural break is after the first two psukim, and the rest of the parak is almost one entire story. So we could break it up a little further, but the, you see that the first two psukim is separate. And that's we have here, we'll look at it a little further, we have here a very strong reaction of the uh, nations of Canaan, and they're very anxious to fight Yeshua. The, the Pasuk Gimel begins our different story, the exception to that rule, the, the dwellers of Gibbon heard what happened and their reaction is slightly different. Now, I'd like to, let's say, break up Gimel to Chavzayin, which is quite a large chunk, and say, let's say Gimel, right, to uh, Hay. This is the preparation the people of Gibbon make for their plan. Vav, let's say, till Tetvav is the encounter, the meeting of the people of Givon with Yoshua and the Jews. Tet Zion, right, uh, to Chaf uh, Aleph, let's say. Um, they try to figure out how to respond to this challenge. And then at the end, how they resolve this issue. It's a very strange story. Let's look at the Meshulav here a little bit. Um, and I have here, okay, the Radak. Okay, Radak says this was all the kings, and it was a Pesach Aleph, Peraktet, and it was when all the kings that were on the western side of the Jordan, when they heard in the mountains, in the lowlands, in the coast, right, uh, up north by Lebanon, and all of the nations, there are six nations mentioned, the six nations, right? And the Radak explains, in one, they're all joined together that they want to fight the Jewish people. Now, it's, it's important to understand a few things here, right? The international reaction, first of all, 
you notice that there's only six nations. Okay, hold on to that thought because we thought we're, there are seven nations. And then we have the idea <clears throat> that uh, the kings band together, all the kings. The, the strategy, right? The Alshach says that, you know, uh, Hashem and Yeshua did this deliberately. Once the, the nations see that the Jewish people are winning a war by an ordinary battle, albeit a very interesting and, and uh, strategic battle, then they say, if they can already fight in a military, we can't fight miracles, but if they're fighting a normal war, then we can band together, right? All of the kings get together. And if we have a big enough army, maybe we can fight the Jews. That's the conclusion that they make. And if you look at the Ralbag, they took an Eitzah, an idea, to get together. Right? Now, as we'll see in Parak Yud, you know, coming attractions, the actual banding together of all these kings is not a bad thing. And Akadosh Baruch Hu is going to uh, take, take everything that happens and use it for the advantage of B'nai Israel. But in the meantime, we have this reaction as we're going to fight. Now, the Give Onim, okay, if anyone has been to Give On or knows the area, it's, uh, it's on the highway on the 443 between Yerushalayim and Modian. Uh, it's a little town there and it's extremely strategic. It's sort of in the crossroads of the north and south and the east and west. And it's a very strategic area. And the people of Gibbon look at what's going on around them and they say, well, we, we are not sure that we want to be part of this whole situation. Now observe, Pasuk Gimel. The dwellers of Givon, Shamu, right? That at, the dwellers of Givon heard what Yeshua did to Yerifo and to I. Now, if, it's interesting because the whole country is governed by kings. Every town has a king and the kings are powerful and their localities are powerful. But here we have something where, that we were noticing that it's the, the dwellers of Gibbon. It's not the king. Was there a king in Gibbon? Did he agree with this? It's an interesting uh, case that's, uh, that's raised, right? The Mepharshan uh, wonder about this. Was there a king in Gibbon? It seems that the, the people are taking matters into their own hands. And they're saying, ah, uh, no. We don't actually want to wage war with these Jews. They are winning everything. And when they get into Yericho, they destroyed everything. They killed everyone. When they got into Ai, they destroyed everything. They killed every, everyone. We don't actually like those odds. And we would rather find another way. So let's make a peace treaty. Now, Pasuk Dalit, Vayasu Gam Haim Ba'arma. This Pasuk has uh, given rise to a lot of discussion. 
Pasik Dalit. And they also did with trickery. What is the trickery, right? We're going to see their plan, but the, quest, the first question is, why do they need to make a plan with trickery? So if we go back, I want to go back to uh, the Radzak. The Radzak on Pasuk Zion here. Okay, we're jumping ahead a little bit because I want you to see the Radzak on Zion. The Radzak has a very long discussion, as you could see, if you hope you can see, a long discussion of this whole story. But there's a very critical point that I want you to see. I mentioned this to you, I believe in our second year, when we discussed the whole idea of wiping out people, which is a very disturbing to, especially to the Western mind in 2022. Although, you know, you look around and it's, it's not, it's not actually, we don't live in such a peaceful world, I'm sorry to say. But here, the, the Chazal asked this question, like, how could they come in and wipe everyone out? That's a disturbing thing that we, we have trouble with this. And actually, here, uh, if you could follow, I have a, a pointer. Can you see my pointer? I'll maybe go, I can't go, it doesn't go up any higher. Over here it says, Rabbeinu Zechron Lebracha, Amor Rabbeinu Zechron Lebracha, Ki shlosha katavim shalach yoshu b'kinesatan la'aretz, shalach lahem, mi sherotze la'ashlim yavo b'yashlim. Yoshua sent three letters. This is a very uh, important medrash that we spoke about, I think, in, in our second chapter. When Yoshua came into the land, he sent letters to the inhabitants of the land, and he said, you have three choices. You can either make a peace treaty, and um, here, me, whoever wants lashlim, yavavishlim. And then he said, Misha tell us you want to make war, we make war, right? And those who wish to leave may leave. Those who believed in God, I'm translating loosely, and were uh, fearful of his words, went to Afriki. <laughs> they left and moved to Africa. And the Drash said, and this is very interesting because most, most of the, the Chazal agree that the fact that the Girgashi are not listed, like they're taking out, is that the Girgashi was the nation that left in their entirety and they moved to Africa. And as far as we know, they lived happily ever after. And that was a very good choice that they made. Radak brings here some very interesting uh, midrashim, and he says it was the Kanani who left. Okay, that's actually very strange because you see that the last stand of the Kanani is in chapter four of your of Shoftim, but it could be that some did and some didn't, and it says that's why the land of Israel was called Kanaan. They had a schut that many of them left, and then there are some that say the Prizi left. Right, and uh, so then he asked the question: Why did the boilers of Gidon have to do a trick? They could have had a peace treaty from Yoshua. 
And he says, the dwellers of Givon thought that Yoshua had sent to I and to Riho, and they had wanted to make peace, but he struck them anyway. In other words, when our question is, going back, we're going to go back to the Mishulav. Okay. Our question is, what does it mean by Yasugamhema They also did a trickery. That's a very important phrase because it means they're responding to some trickery that happened. So the basic explanation that Radak is bringing is that they thought that Yehoshua had, this, this is not true. They thought that Yehoshua had promised peace to Yerifa and I and reneged and wiped them all out. So they felt that going for a peace treaty was not gonna work. And that Yehoshua was tricking them and therefore they felt justified in tricking Yoshua. That is one explanation. There are a number of explanations here. The other explanation, right? Um, I'm gonna go back to Rashi, right? Um, they, their other explanation that Dr. Mikva brings this and also um, my husband's grandfather brings this to Yaakov, that they saw the Battle of Ai they saw the original defeat, and afterwards the the ploy, the you know, they pretended to run away, and then they wiped them out. And they said, "Well, those sneaky Jews, we can also be sneaky." Okay, so these are the some of the ideas. What is the also ba'arma? But Rashi has something here that I really wanted to talk about, which is extremely important. I I, I didn't get all the sources open. I like to have the sources open for you. I didn't have a chance to do that, but take a look here, the Rashi, or maybe it'd be clearer in the Chabad one here. Oh, it's in English. Okay. Rashi takes us back generations to the story of the rape of Dina. After Dino was captured by Shechem and raped, the, he decides that he wants to marry her. They come to Yaakov and his sons and they say, you know, whatever you want, however much money you want, let's make friends, let's, you know, let me marry her and all this. So what do the Jews do there, the sons of Yaakov? They make a trick. They say, okay, you can join us, but only if you do a Brit Milah. And that's the trick, because once they are in the, the Brit Milah, and they're three days and they're very not feeling good, then they come in and they attack them. Of course, there's a whole discussion there, why are Shimon and Levi, uh, the ones that Yaakov uh, reprimands. It seems from the general, I'll just go into that story just for a moment. It seems that Chazal felt that the real, everybody was in on the trick. In other words, the trick was, when the Chivi, the dwellers of Shem, are weak after the Brismila, they will go and capture Dina back. They didn't realize that Shimon and Levi intended to wipe the city out. But it's such an interesting thing that Rashi brings here. Yoshve Givon Minachivi Hayu. The dwellers of Givon were Chivi. So they said, well, you know, look what they did to our tribe tribal uh, ancestors. 
we can trick them also. And that's really, uh, you know, uh, Marguerite mentioned the Mida Kenegan Mida. It's, it's a very, very interesting lesson that we get from this, right? The, the Chazal say, you know, right? That's what you get. In other words, if you act with trickery, right? Then people feel they could trick you. And a Kaddishvar who feels that you perhaps deserve to be tricked back. We have numerous examples of the principle of Mida Kenegad Mida in the Tanakh. Um, what comes to mind are the the um, the Makkah of blood in Egypt, right? They they threw children into the yar and they filled it with blood, so to speak. And um, many many examples of how this works. And David Amel says in Tehillim, right? You know, Im Hasid If you're going to, if a person acts piously, Hashem will. Uh, act toward them righteously. And we have a number of chazals about this, that if a person forgives others, Hashem forgives him. If Hashem, if a person uh, uh, judges people favorably, Hashem judges them favorably. So I think that our first takeaway lesson from here is something to think about very deeply. The way we treat others is the way that um, we will be treated. So Bezrat Hashem, we hope that we will treat others nicely and that we will get um, the right response to that. Okay. Now, what did they do? Okay. Vayitztayaru is a strange word, and the Targum takes it as Vayitztayadu. They provided themselves, they made themselves provisions, like seda. That would be a simple explanation. And most of the Mepharshim understand it to be like Mitsuda says, they made themselves like a tzir, like an, uh, messengers. They pretended to be messengers from a faraway country. Reb Yaakov has a very interesting idea here. So they made their tzura different. They changed their form. They they made as if they're people from a different country, from a different climate, from a different government. And that's how they try to fool people. And here are the examples. They took uh, worn out sacks on their donkeys and a note is a flask, this is Pasuk Dalit, if anyone's following. And they took these these uh, wine sacks that were cracked and tied together, like just what you don't want to put your wine in. And, 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 and worn out shoes with like, you know, holes in them on their feet. The slama is the same as a simla. The lamina mem are interchangeable. Balot, uh, also uh, worn out. Clothing, and all their bread was dry and dotted, which sounds a lot like mold. And for those of you who are fastidious, ich. okay. Okay, I actually um, forgot to mention that peace. In the formulation of Chazal, 
is not just ordinary, like, you know, total peace, but the peace has to, has to include the nations that are making peace, uh, 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 accepting upon themselves the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noah. No idolatry can be tolerated in the land of Israel, and they also have to be subservient to the Jewish people, and they have to pay taxes. In other words, it's not a piece of equals. But that was the piece that was offered, or else leave the country, or else fight. The Givonim want to make a treaty, right, on their own terms. And they would like to have a treaty of equals, and they have their plan. And their plan is to come to Yoshua with all their, you know, worn out stuff, and pretend they're from far away, Pasuk Bab. They come to Yeshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and they say to him, to Yeshua, and to the man of Israel, we have come from a far land and now make a covenant with us. Now, it's very interesting. Ish Israel is the man of Israel and usually Ish in the Tanakh is an important person. So the Chazal interpret this Ish as the, the Nisim, the princes of each tribe. They come to Yeshua and to the other leaders and they say, we're from a very far country and now we want to make a covenant with you. By Yomru, right? But the, by Yomer, the Kitiv, the Kri, I'm sorry, the Yomer is the Kri. Um, maybe you live amongst us maybe you live amongst us how can I make a covenant with you the commands of God and I have this I, I wanted to open it for you but I didn't get to getting that on the screen for you, but um, in Devarim it says, Perik Zion, Devarim Zion, Ki yiviyecha Hashem lokecha la'aretz asher atah ba'asham al-arishta, v'nashar goyim rabim mipanecha, hachiti ha'yigashi ha'moi, ha'knani ha'prizi ha'chibi ha'busi, shiva goyim rabim v'atumim yumeka, v'netanam Hashem lokecha la'panecha v'hikitam, I'm sorry, v'hikitam, we have a direct commandment not to make a covenant with them. Interestingly enough, the Rambam points out that in Perak um, Chaf of Devarim, we have a commandment, right, in Perak Chaf, when you come close to a city, you must call out to them for peace. So here is the interesting halacha that we have. We are supposed to call out for peace. We're supposed to make a peace treaty. But in the case of the seven nations, there are very specific uh, uh, conditions for that. And that means they must be subservient, they must keep the laws of, of B'nai Noach, the seven laws of B'nai Noach, no idolatry, etc. And 
right? And then they have to pay taxes. And the Jews say to the Chibi, where we the Givotim or the Chibi say, if you live amongst us, we pay it. We're not allowed to make a covenant with you. That's against our laws. That you know, there's only uh, that that opportunity you had, and you're not doing that. But the interesting thing is there, Ulai. Ulai, Ulai in the in this, very often in Tanakh is a lot more like probably than possibly. Like yeah, probably live here. They're very suspicious, and it's very interesting that they actually fall for this whole story when you see the suspicion. Look at Pasachet. And you see here they're speaking first, right? They first are going to Yoshua and to the men of Israel. And now they speak to uh, the people and they say, yeah, well, maybe you're not from here. We can make a comment with you. So they go to Yeshua. They said, we'll be your servants. Maybe that'll work. And Yeshua's also suspicious. He says, who are you? Where are you from? Why should I, why should I make a comment with you? And they said to him, we come from a very far country, your servants, for the name of your God, because we heard the greatness of your God and everything he did in Egypt. Now, the Malvin has a very interesting discussion here, which I don't have for you in front of you, but <clears throat> he says there are basically three kinds of treaties that uh, uh, nations make with each other. The first kind of treaty is a treaty of borders, countries that border each other, and they make a, a treaty that they're going to respect each other's borders. And that has to be something that everybody's on board with that, because you have to respect that, that border treaty. Okay, that's the most common thing. The second treaty is a treaty that's a military treaty. You help me, I'll help you. If they attack you, I'll support you. Something that we saw with I, that Beit El came running out to help I. That's something that the governors, the leaders of the countries make together. The third treaty, the Malbim posits, is a spiritual treaty. Since we share a common uh, religious philosophy and morality, so we should get along with each other. So uh, the Malvin points that they tried everything. They first say, maybe, you know, we want to have uh, a covenant with you, but we're from far away. So we have to have something, you know, we, we can't do something, a uh, border treaty, but maybe, maybe we'll be your servants and we'll support each other. And when they get to the Yoshua, Right? He says, well, who are you? And they say, well, we want to, we heard about your great God. The question that we have to ask ourselves is why on earth would Yoshua agree to this? Why would anyone agree to this when they're so suspicious from the beginning? And here we see a hint of that, right? Okay, 
then they go on persecute. And we saw what you did, what Hashem did, your God did to the two kings of the Amori on the east bank of the Jordan to Sichon and to Og. In Aleph, by Yomri Lemus Kenenu, so they say, we heard all the news about how God uh, defeated Mitzrayim, how he defeated Sihon and Og, and our elders said, go and make a covenant and tell them we're their servants, we we want to make a covenant with you. We want to be together with you. And we are admiring your God. Now, why does Yeshua agree? What's in it for him? What's in it for the Jews? So if we say the Jewish people are supposed to be the Amsegula, we're supposed to be, you know, the, the people who bring righteousness to the world and the word of God, Hashem, you know. So then you say, well, we think your God is amazing and we want to join because we are so impressed with your God. This is actually something that Yehoshua responds to. He says, oh, okay. And if you don't believe me, look, you bet. We, we took this bread, it was hot when we left. Look at it, it's moldy now. It's a far trip, right? Our bread was hot and now it's moldy. And the wine flasked. Look at us, look. Our, our wine sacks were new when we left. And, and they split. And, they're, and, and the, the clothing is all, everything is destroyed from the Spardera. Now, it's very interesting. If you notice, what major miracles did they not talk about? The Yardane splits and the Jews come through. The walls of Yericho come tumbling down. No mention. This is part of their strategy. They're only, they, if I came from a far country, how do I know the Jordan split? How do I know Yericho fell? There's no WhatsApp. There's no internet. They only know the old stuff. Everybody knows that stuff. So this is part of their strategy to fool Yoshua and the Jewish people. And then in Yudalid, we find the result. Pasuk Yudalid. Oh, Yudalid, it's very important. And the people took from their tzeda. What does that mean? The moldy bread? My daughter Zahara would faint. <laughs> Who would eat moldy bread? Wine from moldy sacks. Why would they take their food? It's, it's hard to take this on at face value. 
they, they took their tzeda because their tzeda was disgusting. And you know what we would say, in, in America they'd say fe, in Israel they say fuya. <laughs> Take that stuff. But apparently, right, this is a spiritual kind of thing. So the al says, if they had fresh stuff, they should have been even more suspicious that there was anything good in there, maybe they had some nice fruit. Why? Why wouldn't you be suspicious if you find that some of the food is actually good food? Uh, maybe you just came from, a, you know, down the road a little bit. But the interesting drash here, Rashi brings, And if you recall, right, the story of Yaakov and Esau, Yitzchak likes Esau because he always was hunting with his mouth. And the Chazal explained it that he, he knew how to trap him and to make him think whatever he wanted to think. So here, similarly, the people took the bait. They swallowed it. After all their suspicion, they said, okay. And the second half of Yedalid, bet pi Hashem lo sha'alu. They did not ask God. Yoshua, you messed up when you didn't listen. You know, before I, when you didn't talk to God about that, what are you doing here? And of course, they have the Kohen Gadol there, they have the Urmbetumim there, they have prophets there. There's ways to communicate with God. And that's our, definitely our second life lesson. Everything you do, you have to do a Hashem. Everything you do, you have to ask Hashem. Of course, we don't have any direct hotlines today. We have what we learn in the Torah that we have to follow. We have wise elders and great people that we can ask. There's many, many ways of getting God's thoughts. Right? We cannot ever know exactly, but we should be heading for what Hashem wants. This is a very, very big failing. Hashem Let's go on. Okay. He makes peace. Okay. And he made a covenant with them to keep them alive. So the question here is what was involved in the covenant? And the Barbanel says the only thing that he agreed to was not to kill them. Yoshua's not leaving his suspicion away. He's not agreeing to anything else. He's saying, okay, we won't kill you. But then you have, right? So we have Yoshua's reaction, which is to say, okay, we won't kill you. And now the oath. The oath comes from the princes, the Nisiyin. And then the plot thickens. Pasuk Tetzayim, Vayim Mikzei Shloshet Yamim Acharayish Yakatul Habrit Vayishmu Ki Krobim Hem Elav Bekirbo Hem Yoshvim. And it was after three days after they made this covenant that they heard that they actually live nearby and dwell amongst them. Surprise! We just lived down the block. Vayisub Ben Israel Pasuk Yitzayim Vayavo Al Arayim Vayom Ashlishi Vayarayim Givon. Now, Givon 
Kefira and Beirut are also there in that, you know, area, Modian. Kiryat Yarim is actually uh, uh, further over in the direction uh, towards Tel Aviv, um, on the Tel Aviv Highway there. So it's interesting, but this is towns that were Hebe towns. And the Givonim, you know, when the Jewish people start traveling, they find out all these guys are liars and cheats. And surprise. Pasuk Yudchet. Velohi kumbne Israel ki nishbeula hem nesiei ha'eta b'ashem elokei Israel v'yilonu kaleidal nesiim. And the children of Israel did not strike them because they swore to them, the princes of the congregation, by the name of Hashem elokei Israel, they had made a vow. And they all came. We've heard so many times the Jewish people, they complained to Moshe in the story of Korah, and they don't have water. And then, hey, how could you swear to them? What were you thinking? And it seems, if we go back to Pasuk Tetvav, that this is the initiative of the princes. So they come to the princes and what did you do to us? They actually really want to kill these people. They're very angry at being tricked. And they say, well, we, we vowed. So here's a very big question that we have to ask. And then first we ask, why do we have to uphold a treaty that was obtained by trickery? You fooled us. You lied. Right? So the Chazal say, right, here, let me switch to, where are we? The doc. Um, and now. Okay. Well, I'm not finding the Radak. Well, basically, where is this Radak? Okay. Um, here, the same long Radak that we had before. We really have, why would they have to keep this, this covenant if it was a trick, right? And here we see a very, very big cloud. They made the vow, and they say it would be a desecration of God's name to go against this treaty, even though it was obtained by trickery, which is very unfair. But right, one of what there's two principles that we take out of this. The first principle, and I would say, was definitely uh, life lessons territory. Uh, and number three for this parak. A neder is a very great thing. 
in the Torah thought, Neder is, a, it's so important, and this is something that we learn in Yiddishkeit in so many different ways, what we say really matters. You know, there's a stupid thing that Americans say, sticks and stones will break my bones and names will never hurt me. We, you know, Yiddishkeit has such emphasis on laws of what you say and what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say. A neder, right? You have the whole conditions that you had to, uh, had to change a neder, neder that you uh, have to break, what happens, right? The hatarat nederim we do before Rosh Hashanah. On the holiest day of the year, on Yom Kippur, the first thing we say is kol nidre. If we said anything and we made any vows and we didn't keep, we, didn't, we don't want to be held responsible for that. Rabbi Yaakov says you have a, a way with your own mouth to make a whole new halacha. Nedras were very, very serious. Just look at the story of Yiftah, right? Look at the story of Sha'ul. People really um, took, took vows very seriously, but to take very seriously what comes out of our mouths. And Kohelet says, listen, just don't make a vow and don't renege on it. So all day long, people say blinader, and it's a very good practice because somebody goes, I'll come, I'll see, I'll do it for you, and then they forget about it. So we try never to do these things. And neder is a very big thing. So that's life lesson number three. Number four is it doesn't really so much matter how they treat you. You have to do what is good in God's eyes, right? In other words, the people of Gibbon were very tricky, very sneaky. They behaved badly. They connived, right? That doesn't give us the right to abrogate our agreements, to do something to go against what a Baruch Hu wants. Sometimes we get very angry. Someone treats us badly. It happens all the time, you know, in our daily lives. If someone does something to us and we feel, oh, I'll get them. But we see here that our behavior is not dependent on what people do to us. We have to do what's right. And they feel like they cannot do this. The, the world is looking. You made a covenant with them and you can't break it. People say, Jews are liars. Jews are not trustworthy. So they had to uphold this treaty. Prosecute 10. We made a vow in the name of Hashem. We can't touch them. But this doesn't come without punishment. Let us do this. We will keep them alive. We will not cause anger about the vow that we vowed to them. In other words, we cannot break this vow, but we do have ways of punishing them for their behavior. And they said to them, you will be, you will live, but you will be wood choppers and water drawers for the whole congregation as the uh, uh, princes, the Nesiyim, have said, right? Pasachapet, by Yikralem Yoshua. So you, the, the princes make this proclamation. They should be uh, 
hard laborers, you know, water drawers and wood choppers for the people. But Yoshua says something slightly different. Why did you trick us? Why did you fool us? Just say you're from far away and you're not. Right? You dwell amongst us, Chaf Gimel. Batem Arurim Atem. Uloi Karet Mikem Eved, Chotve Eitzim, Shobe Mayim, Rebet Elokai. And he says, you are cursed that you will always be slaves, and you will chop wood and draw water in the house of our God. Now, if you notice that in Pesach Chaf Aleph, the, the Nisiyim had said, you will be wood choppers and water drawers to the congregation, and here Yeshua says, in the house of our God, right? Mitsuda says, you will be servants, you'll be cursed servants to all the congregation. But when there's no war, this thing will never change. You will always have to serve in the house of God. And um, they were serving in Gilgal, in Shiloh, where the Mishkan was, and eventually the Mishkan from Shiloh went to Nov and then to Gibbon, right? And eventually to Shalayim. And they had to be water drawers and wood choppers forever to the Jewish people. They explained to Yeshua very simply, we were told, your servants were told, that God, your God, had told Moshe, his servant, that he would give you the land and destroy all the dwellers in the land, and we were very afraid for our lives, and we did this thing to save our lives. And now we're in your hands, right? You do with us what's good in your eyes. They speak in a very subservient manner. They know that they're at the mercy of the Jews, and this is the best deal that they can get, you know, because they were supposed to have been killed, right? In other words, Yoshua did this for them. He made this their destiny, but he saved them from the people of Israel, and he didn't, they didn't kill them. The Jewish people were wanted to kill them. And Yeshua gave them on that day to be wood choppers and water carriers to the congregation and to the altar of God until today in the place that he chose, in other words, um, in the house of God. I have a couple of minutes. I just want to explain to you um, who these people are. All right. In order for you to understand the, the, the judgments of Hashem are, are very righteous. So these people were really cruel people. And in Shmuel Bet, Perak we have a very, very disturbing story about the Giv'onim. And I'll give you a short version. We have no time. But the, the 
people of Israel in the time of David have a famine, right? And David doesn't know why, and he asks Hashem why. And Hashem says, El Shaul, Be'el Beit HaDamim, Al Asher Hemit Et HaGivonim. It's because Shaul and the house of blood, and because he killed Givonim. It's a very long story, and I'll just give you the highlights of it. And it's a sad story, but the Givonim were serving in Nov when the city of Nov was killed. The people, the Kohen of Nov, were killed by Shaul because Shaul thought that they were in cahoots with David and he was chasing David. And um, it's a very terrible story. And now in Shmuel Bet, God is punishing the Jewish people for that incident, which is very interesting and quite strange. And two parts, the Chazal say there are two parts of the story. One part is that Shaul was never honored properly in his death. He was not mourned properly. He was not buried properly. Uh, at the end of Shmuel Aleph, we find that the Plishtim um, cut off his head and his sons and the people of Yavish Gilad in gratitude for what he did for them come and take the bodies and burn them and bury them in Yavish Gilad and they were never properly buried so David does that at this point that is one problem the other problem was that the Givonim suffered when the city of Nov was killed some people say that seven Givonim were killed right and some people say that they died of starvation because their source of livelihood dried up when the Kohenim were killed. And they come to Dove and David says, okay, guys, you, you uh, apparently God wants us to redress this grievance and uh, help you out because, you know, some of your people died because of this it's a story that happened to Shaul and, and the Kohenim of No. And he says, how much do you want? And they said, we don't want money. We want to kill seven of Shaul's descendants. And David argues with them. He says, listen, he takes each one individually. He says, maybe you want some money. And they're like, no, no, we want blood for blood. And David says, now we understand why the Givonim are never allowed to join the Jewish nation. It's a very, very famous Chazal because there were three characteristics, as I'll say, that characterized Jews. Rachmanim, Baishanim, Goble Chassad. Jews are merciful. They're Baishanim, they're um, humble, and they're not arrogant. And they're Goble Chassadim, they're generous, they do things for others. When you see a nation like the Givonim that cannot, cannot give up on this bloodlust will not accept a monetary uh, present in lieu of this. And they insist on killing innocent people uh, to appease their own loss. You see a cruelty that has no place in the Jewish people. And that's another life lesson. We're supposed to be Rahmanim, Baishanim, and Gomer Chasadim. Those are the traits that characterize the Jewish people, and those are the traits that we're looking for. And I said before, Mida Kineged Mida, those are the things that we want to emulate, we want to be merciful, 
We want to be humble and we want to be generous and kind. And the Gibbonim, they managed to keep themselves alive, but they were not ever allowed to be part of the Jewish people. And that will um, give you some understanding of who they were and why that happened. In the next parak, Bezrat Hashem, we'll see how Kaddish Baruch Hu takes this very interesting development, right? Again, it's a mistake. They shouldn't have made this treaty, but Kaddish Baruch Hu is going to take that mistake and turn it around into a victory for the Jewish people.